for us. God, thank you for this time that we can spend together. Thank you for bringing us together as a family. Guess what we are? We're a church family. And so thank you for allowing us just to come together and, and, and learn more about you and, and worship you and praise you. And that's what we want to do. We want to continue to worship you. We want to continue to praise you, to learn more about you, and then apply that to our lives for the specific purpose of becoming more like your son, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. So Jen just finished off, you know, he, our, he's our good, good father. And and I have a couple of questions to start us off. How much do you love, think about it, if you have children, how much do you love your children? Think about your children, think about your grandchildren. You know, I have, I have seven grandkids, and, and I love my grandkids intensely. I don't know how you can love anything anymore. I mean, I love my children, I love my grandchildren. How much do you love your children? And do you love them enough, okay, think about this, do you love them enough to do whatever it takes to save them from themselves sometimes. Think about it. What would you do, okay, to save your children or your grandchildren from themselves? What would you be willing to give up or sacrifice? Do you love them enough to stop them from making terrible decisions? As you process through that, Process through that in the same, we won't, we're not going to talk about it a lot this morning, maybe a little bit, but when you go to the Old Testament, you see things happen and you say, well, why would God do that? Why would God do that? It seems like a wrathful God. Why would God do that? Think about what I just said to you. What would you be willing to do to save your children and your grandchildren from themselves? What would you be willing to sacrifice or give up, okay? Or what would you be willing to engage in to keep your children from making terrible decisions? I had a friend, um, this was probably 25 years ago, and I was a youth pastor, and this friend's daughter was old enough to get married. She was about 19 or 20 years old, and she met some guy, and she wanted to marry this guy. And be honest with you, the guy was kind of a bum, okay? I'm just being fair. At that point in his life, he was kind of a bum, and he actually turned out later on to be a bum. And uh, <laughs> so this dad was, you know, he loved his daughter. I mean, he raised his daughter. He raised his daughter up, and all of a sudden she connects with whoever, and he was having none of it. And the guy came to him and was talking. He said, listen, you know, it's not going to happen. You're not. He talked to his daughter about it. She, you know, she was bristling against it. And dad, you can't make decisions for me. I can marry who I want. He held his ground. He would not give his consent. He would, he would, he would sit down with her and talk to her about it and try to help her understand. And he, he basically held his ground. And to every, everything he could do to stop her from marrying this guy, he did. And they didn't get married. And some people thought, well, you know, he should mind his own business. But this was his baby. You have to understand, you're 19, 20, 21, 22, 25, 30, 40, 50 years old. You're still someone's baby, okay? You're your parents' baby. And so he wasn't just going to give his baby over to someone he didn't think, honestly, was worthy of his daughter and the investment he made in his child. And he was absolutely right. And they didn't get married. She was absolutely thrilled about a year later when she realized what kind of person this other man was. She ended up marrying two, three years later, marrying someone. They have children. They have a phenomenal family. She's happy as can be because her father did whatever was necessary to keep his daughter from marrying someone who he knew would be absolutely terrible for her. How far do you think God would go to protect you from yourself? Think about that. 
How far do you think God would go to protect you from yourself? I think the answer is that God is going to do whatever's necessary to keep Jeff Greer from doing things that may harm him or harm those around him. Our, my God loves me so much. My father loves me so much that he's going to do whatever's necessary to keep me from harming myself. But here's the thing. What if with all of that, what if we won't listen? God is, is doing whatever he needs to do. But what if we won't listen? We're going to marry that person anyway. I don't care what the Holy Spirit's telling me. I'm going to do this anyway. I'm going to try this anyway. I'm going to experience this anyway. Regardless, what if we won't listen? This morning, we're going to look at Daniel chapter 4, and we're going to answer that very question. What happens when God tries to do whatever a father does to protect his children from themselves, but they will not listen? See, here's the thing. We live in a world where, where people think, I don't need God. I mean, we're moving further and further in that direction where people just have this arrogance, this pride and arrogance of, I don't need God. I don't, I don't, I don't need God. See, they, they think that everything that's happened in their lives, all that they were able to accomplish, all the blessings that they have in their lives come because of their own power and their, maybe their, their, their own abilities, their own, their own mental abilities. They're so smart, they're so great, they're so strong. And the reason they have what they have has nothing to do with God whatsoever. It has to do with how wonderful and awesome and smart and talented and gifted they are. And they don't need God. They don't need God. And that's how people begin to think. When that happens, God tries to get our attention. And some people don't like this, but when that, when people have that, when his children especially, so be prepared, when his children start getting that attitude, I don't need God, God will do what's necessary. Sometimes God will do what's necessary to get our attention. Listen, he may bless us. So that we will have a thankful heart and come to him and thank him. God, thank you. I have such blessings. You, you let this business deal go through. You, you, you help my, my daughter in, in, in university or, or college. And you did this. Or you Thank you for this. Or he, so he blesses you sometimes to bring about in our, his children's life a thankful heart. You know, guess what, kids? We're going to Disney. Yeah, you know what I mean? It's like, this is great. Thank you, thank you, thank you. We always wanted to go. And you get a thankful heart. Nothing wrong with that. That's what God gives us good things to bring about a thankful, to bring about a, uh, a thankful heart. So that's one of the things he does. But here's the, here's the other thing. Sometimes he brings failure into our lives, hoping that we will go back to the right path. We veered off. We're no longer on the right path. And so God brings some struggles. He brings some pain. He brings some difficulties in our lives to bring us back to the right path. Failure and discipline. Hear me out. Failure and discipline can be a gift. They can be a gift. And we don't like to, we don't like to, we don't like to think about that. But failure and discipline can be a gift. A gift. That's hard to understand. And it's hard to acknowledge, but I'm going to tell you something. It's true. We, we learn more. Isn't it, honestly, if you're an adult, you'll understand this. Do you learn more when you're going through a difficult time, or do you learn more when you're going through some easy time? You learn more when you go through a difficulty. I don't know about you, and I don't know why it is that way. Wouldn't it be just nice to sit at the feet of Jesus, right? 
and him just teach you. You sit at the feet of Jesus calmly and quietly and he teaches you and you learn something. You become more like Christ. But, but if, if I were to ask you, what, what, what time in your life did you become most like Jesus? When did you grow the most? Well, back in 19-whatever, I, I got cancer. And, uh, or back then, you know, I went through a relationship issue in my life and, and the relationship was falling apart. And, I, and, I just, and God spoke to me. And the stories that you would tell through the difficult times are the stories that help build our faith. And we don't, we don't like to acknowledge that sometimes. And sometimes we don't understand it. But the truth is we learn more from our pain than we do from our success. Failure and discipline can often be a gift. That's the lesson King Nebuchadnezzar learned the hard way. I mean, I couldn't, uh, seriously, I just have to tell you, every Sunday I'm excited to get up here and tell these stories. This is, gr- this is great, okay? I was so excited to talk about Nebuchadnezzar this morning. So he learned the hard way. Before we move on and jump right into the story of Nebuchadnezzar here, we have to realize that Nebuchadnezzar wrote this chapter, okay? It's coming from him, first person. So Nebuchadnezzar wrote this. So we pick up the story where King Nebuchadnezzar has the tiger by the tail, okay? He's, I mean, everything is going phenomenally well for him. He has power. He has, uh, he has wealth. He has it all. He has everything. He's at the top of his game. Everything that you would want, he has. He ruled over the most dominant kingdom in the history of the world up until that time. Babylon was an incredible city. You know, we, even today we talk about the hanging gardens of Babylon, right? Incredible hanging gardens. And they talk about, historians talk about how, how dynamic this city was. And this was the city that King Nebuchadnezzar was overseeing. Historians tell us that they had double walls that were 15, was 15 miles long of these double walls that surrounded the city. The walls were 85 feet tall and in some places they were 27 feet thick. So I'm gonna, what does that tell you? The king had every reason to feel safe and secure in his position. He had every reason to feel the way he was feeling from a human standpoint. In in the eyes of the world, the guy had it all. And then one night, like in chapter 2, he had another disturbing dream. And in Daniel chapter 4, verses 10 through 16, it says says this. These are the visions I saw while laying in my bed. I looked and there before me stood a tree in the middle of the land. Its height was enormous. The tree grew large and strong and its its top touched the sky. It was visible to the ends of the earth. Its leaves were beautiful, its fruit abundant, and on it was food for all. Under it, the beasts of the field found shelter and the birds of the air lived in its branches. From it, every creature was fed. In the visions I saw while laying in my bed, I looked and there before me was a, was a messenger, a holy one coming down from heaven. He called in a loud voice, cut down the tree and trim off its branches, strip off its leaves and scatter its fruit. Let the animals flee from under it and the birds from its branches. Let the stump and its root bound with iron and bronze remain in the ground, in the grass of the field. Let him be dressed with the dew of heaven and let him live with animals among the plants of the earth. Let his mind be changed from that of a man and let him be given the mind of an animal till seven times pass by for him. 
The king called. Okay, remember? The king called all his wise men together. He had that first dream in chapter 2. And so he calls his wise men together. And he says to them, not only do I want you to interpret my dream, I want you to tell me what my dream was. Well, this time, he's smart enough to realize his wise men can't do that. So he calls them and he asks them, interpret my dream. And they are as clueless as they were last time. These guys all came together completely clueless, okay, clueless. So then he calls Daniel, and obviously Daniel is able to interpret his dream. He knows exactly what the dream meant. So Daniel, at first, the Bible says, was kind of, you know, the way he puts it, he's a little nervous. He doesn't really want to tell the king what this dream's about. So he waits a little bit and then he tells him the first, he gives him kind of the first part of the dream. Be honest with you, what does it say about people bringing bad news? I mean, when you ever watch movies or read books or whatever else, what happens to the dude who brings bad news to the king? All in his head just because he brought me bad news. So Daniel's there and he's like, it doesn't really want to tell the king what the dream means. But then he spills the beans. He basically, he, 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 he drops the bomb in Daniel chapter 4 and verse 22. And he says this, you, O king, are that tree. You, O king, are that tree. He goes, he goes on to say that God, okay, God has ordained that the king become like a wild beast, like an animal. So this is not a good thing, right? King Nebuchadnezzar has got the tiger by the tail. He's got, he's, you know, he's a king of Babylon. I mean, the hanging gardens, it's all amazing. And all of a sudden he hears this in Daniel 4:25. You will be driven away from people and will live with wild animals. You will eat grass like cattle and be drenched with the dew of heaven. Seven times will pass by for you until you acknowledge that the Most High is sovereign over the kingdoms of men and gives them to anyone he wishes. He says, until you acknowledge that's really important, okay? So God is saying to him, he's warning him. You read the Old Testament. The problem we have sometimes in reading the Old Testament is we don't read it fully and we don't understand it fully because we read it in bits and pieces. And he says, until you acknowledge, God is warning. God brings warning to people sometimes for hundreds of years and they completely ignore him. Then he brings his wrath after hundreds of years and we judge God for how he's behaving. After hundreds of years of repent, 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 repent. So he says to him, until you acknowledge, that's extremely important. So for seven years, the king will live with the beasts until he acknowledges that God alone is sovereign over all. That you will, you will live like a beast of the field until you acknowledge, until you humble yourself and come to the realization that God is the king over all. Verse 28 tells us this all happened to King Nebuchadnezzar. Okay, so like Nineveh, you want to understand the Old Testament? Go back and read the book of Jonah. Okay, Jonah is sent to Nineveh and he's going. He says, go to Nineveh. God says, go to Nineveh and preach to them. Here's what's going to happen if you do not repent. Jonah hates Nineveh with all of his heart because it's like, say it's like another country that comes in and has butchered us and, you know, 
kill our children and all this. We go on and on and on. Okay. And so Jonah hates the Ninevites. And so God says, go and preach to the to Nineveh, that great city. And Jonah's like, you know, you heard you know the story. He's like gets on a ship and flees to Tarshish and he's thrown overboard because God stops him and he's swallowed by a huge fish. He's spit up on shore. He goes there and, you know, and he, and he preaches to Nineveh and the Ninevites repent. So in this case, God does this to Nebuchadnezzar. He warns, he warns Nebuchadnezzar in verse 27. He tells him to repent. But unlike Nineveh, Nebuchadnezzar doesn't repent. He refuses to change. God is trying. Listen, the reason God puts us, puts me through difficulty sometimes is because I need to change. I need to change my attitude. I need to change my behavior. I need to change some course in my life. God can see. Remember last week I said that God can see all of history laid out before him. We can only see a myopic view of all of what goes on around us. God sees it all. So if Jeff's going down this path and God wants him going down that path, God God, who loves me, is going to try to stop me and turn me in a different direction so I'm going down the right path. And then God says, okay, we got him on the right path. God says to Nineveh, repent. Nineveh repents. Jonah freaks out because he wants Nineveh destroyed, but he says, I knew that you're a gracious God. Okay, filled with compassion and love that you, you don't want to send calamity, that you're forgiving. And that's why Jonah is yelling at God. You want to know the God of the Old Testament? Go read the book of Jonah. That will give you context for how God deals with people. So God Nineveh repents. God does not send calamity on Nineveh. God then talks to Nebuchadnezzar here. And Nebuchadnezzar is like, well, you know, I'm sure it'll all work out for me. Don't worry about it. <laughs> see these hanging gardens behind me? You see them? Don't worry, I got this covered. I, I have to tell you, it's one of those stories where you're going, have you, what are you thinking, man? I don't know what else to say, right? I read this and I'm thinking, what are you thinking? What, 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 I mean, do you think about this? Daniel, Daniel interprets his dream. Not only does he interpret his dream in chapter 2, not only does he do that, he, he says, here's what you have dreamt. And here's what it means. Bam, if that's not a miracle. And then we just, last week, we spent two weeks talking about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, right? And in chapter 3, and God saves them from the fiery furnace. And King Nebuchadnezzar's like, holy moly, look at that. Incredible. And he starts like really praising God. But then all of a sudden he gets another dream in chapter 4. And Daniel says, uh, uh, I hate to break the bad news to you. And Nebuchadnezzar's like, well, don't worry about it. I got it covered. It's all right. See, here's the, here's the problem. He's thinking it's, all, it's going well, but things can, in our life, and you know this. We all know this, right? Things can change on a dime. All of a sudden, things are going well. You think, well, maybe God's, you know, changed his mind. And, but things can change on a dime. In Daniel chapter 4, verses 29 and 30, it says, 12 months later, 12 months later. Okay, T- enough time, people. Twelve months later, as the king was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon, he said, is it not? Is this not the great Babylon? I, I have built as the royal as, res- as my royal residence by my mighty power and for the glory of my majesty. The guy goes on a me fest, right? He's on a me fest. That I, listen to the words, I, I have built by my mighty power, right? By my, the glory of my majesty. 
All of you, look. Look around you. I mean, I love our, I love our church. I love Grace Chapel. I love, I love the cinder blocks. I love the floor. Look what I have built here, people. You see the wall? Look at, you see how, you see how they, you walk in and you see how nice it looks? See what I have done? Aren't you all just so fortunate to be, to be just in front of, sitting and, sitting and listening to me talk this morning? What a absolute privilege for you. And I think about it all the time and think, these guys are so lucky that they have me as their pastor to do all these cool things. In Ni- it's all me in Nigeria. It's all, I did all this. I, do- I mean, can you imagine? So he gets warned and he's like, he's like on a me fest. I built this and my glory did that and I, my majesty and whatever else. He's taking credit. Big mistake. Big mistake. He's taking credit for all the blessings in his life. He's taking credit for all the blessings. Proverbs chapter 16 and verse 18 says this. Pride goes before destruction and haughty, a haughty spirit before a fall. Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. Nebuchadnezzar, okay, Nebuchadnezzar learns the hard way, the error of his ways. He learns the hard way. While he's still spewing out those arrogant words of, look at all that I did, look at all, look at this. Have you looked around? Have you seen lately? Have you looked at Babylon? While he's spewing out his arrogance, these arrogant words, he hears a voice from heaven. Pause for a second. As I get older, I see this more and more in people in business. I see this more and more in leaders in churches. I see this more and more in leaders in parachurches. The, the, it, it's this, this arrogance, success. It is unbelievable, guys. It really is. Success breeds arrogance. And unless you are spiritually mature, and I don't care how much people say they, that people can talk a really big game, okay? When it comes to spiritual maturity, intellectually, people can know a lot. Gifted-wise, people can express it a lot. And you're just, we're all just wowed, okay? But here's the reality. Spiritual maturity takes more than that. Spiritual maturity means when God begins to bless you, you don't start walking around like your feet are three feet off the ground and you're just all that. This spiritual arrogance that we see in business, we see it. See, here's the thing. Even in ministry, we give lip service to God and to those around us. We just, it's, it's more just a lift. We praise ourselves. It's like, it's like a sponge. We absorb all the glory. Who built this and who did that? I was the first and I was the, I was the first one to ever think of this. And we're number one and we have the biggest and we have the most. And as soon as the church gets a certain size, all of a sudden, the, the leaders start to absorb all the glory for themselves. And others, here's the thing. Others, God gets kind of mentioned because you have to do that because it's church and it's where it's a parachurch. God gets some honorable mention every once in a while, and the rest of you are just bit players in their big story. You're all just bit players in my big story, because really, it's really all about me. And so Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar, going through that, and hears this voice that announces the judgment, judgment on Nebuchadnezzar. Judgment, his judgment is that Nebuchadnezzar is going to lose his mind. 
Okay, he's going to lose his mind. In Daniel chapter 4 and verse 33, it says, Immediately what had been said about Nebuchadnezzar was fulfilled. He was driven away from people and ate grass like cattle. His body was drenched with the dew of heaven until his hair grew like feathers of an eagle and his nails like the claws of a bird. One day, think about this, and I mean think about this, okay? because this is what can happen. One day someone else is mowing your grass. And the next day, you're eating the grass. One day, someone's mowing your grass for you. And the next day, you're on your hands and knees like an animal eating the grass. Humility. He is completely... You want to talk about a story of being humbled. He was humbled. I can't help but to think that God kind of... These stories were written, if you will, okay, with future generations in mind. For us to read this and go, you know, you read it sometimes and you read past and go, yeah, start eating like an animal. But start thinking about it in your own life. This story was written for this generation as well. See, though he's still the king, he's still the king, but he can't rule. He's not able to rule. He's not even able to talk like a person. He can't even speak. Like a human being. So he's not able to rule. He's now like an animal. He's walking. Can you imagine this guy who was once everyone feared? Everyone was in awe of. Everyone thought, man, this is, this is the man. And now he's crawling around on the ground eating grass like a wild beast. He can't lead. He can't rule. He can't do anything. Listen to me. You think, well, that's pretty. Uh, man, God is, wow. He, uh, really, why would he do that to the guy? Pride is a, listen to me, is a hideous sin. Pride is the mother of all sins. Almost every sin that we commit, I'm going to say almost, so I can't think of any that don't go along with this, but there probably is something. Almost every sin that we commit in our lives, the birthplace of it is pride. It's pride. It is a hideous, hideous sin, and it brings terrible, terrible consequences to our lives. When, we, when our arrogance is dripping, it brings terrible consequences to our lives. He went, he went from, listen, this guy went from thinking that he was a god, thinking he was like a god, and taking credit for everything. So he went from, I am Spartacus, if you will. I can do it all. Look at me. Watch me. Watch me in business. Look how savvy I am. Look at this and look at that. And, and basically taking all the glory for himself and thinking he's like a god to now walking or crawling around like an animal. Can you fall any further from the top guy in the world, okay, to eating grass and acting like an animal? But that's not the end of the story. God loves us so much that he will do whatever is necessary, okay? He will do what is necessary to put us in a position where we are walking on the right path, taking the good path, helping. He will help us conform to the image of Jesus Christ. So the story does, the story does not end, the, end there. Seven years later, the king's life takes a dramatic turn once again. Another dramatic turn in Daniel chapter 4 and verse 34. It says, at the end of that time, I, Nebuchadnezzar, raised my eyes toward heaven and my sanity was restored. Then I praised the Most High. I honored and glorified him who lives forever. As quickly as his sanity came, it went away, it came back. 
So all of a sudden he's up there on top of his roof, on the roof, obviously, looking over and going, look at me, look at me, look how awesome I am. And went insane. All of a sudden he looks up to heaven, okay, and his sanity is restored. If you're wondering if Nebuchadnezzar was a changed man, wonder no more. Okay, wonder no more. Daniel chapter four, verses 34 and 35 says this. His dominion is an eternal dominion. His kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the peoples of the earth are regarded as nothing. He does as he pleases with the powers of heaven and the peoples of the earth. No one can hold back his hand or say to him, what have you done? He goes from a pagan king to praising God. And in verses 36 and 37, it gives us the, the moral of the story. At the, to, at the same time that my, my sanity was restored, my honor and splendor were returned to me for the glory of my kingdom. My advisors and nobles sought me out, and I was restored to my throne and became even greater than before. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and exalt and glorify the king of heaven because everything he does is right and all his ways are are just and those who walk in pride he is able to humble listen to me don't write you can write this underline this in your bible okay he says everything he does is right right write it down underline it whatever you need to do everything he does is right hear hear me out i may not be able to we may not be able to comprehend all that god does why does, we talked about it last week. Why does one thing happen to one person and not the other? Why does a tornado do this and not the Why does, why does, why does? We, all those questions are there. So we, we, it's hard for us sometimes. We're, we're, even though we're not able to comprehend it all, all of his will and all of his purposes and all of his plans. Maybe, we, remember in Deuteronomy 29, 29, we said the secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things revealed belong to us and our children. Maybe, okay, we're not, we cannot understand the secret things be, that belong to the Lord our God. But here's what I can understand. Everything he does is right. That I can understand. Everything he does is right. Nebuchadnezzar here, okay, remember we talked about spiritual maturity. Nebuchadnezzar, okay, he had had a, a, a temporal perspective before this. After this, he had an eternal perspective. He had a, from last week, a but if not moment. But even if he does not, a but if not moment, his, he had this eternal perspective, his spiritual maturity, he, he was, his mind, his whole, everything was changes. And basically what I'm saying is he came to his senses, if you will. His spiritual senses were heightened. He understood what was important. He had an eternal perspective. He had a but if not perspective. His life was completely changed. I think if you asked him, listen, Hear me out. I think if you said to him, what were the greatest years of your life? King, tell us the greatest years of your life. Tell us the greatest accomplishment, the greatest years. Tell us, explain to me what made you the man you are today. He would not be talking about how big his army. It took me this many years to build this massive army. He wouldn't be talking about the women that he had. 
He wouldn't be talking about his amazing education. Well, I was educated and blah, blah, blah. He wouldn't be talking about any of those. He wouldn't be talking about his massive city. He wouldn't be talking about the hanging gardens. He wouldn't be talking about any of those things. In the greatest years of his life, I think, would come down to when he understood and when he, he would say to us, it was my, the greatest seven years of my life is when I came to understand God's purposes and plan for my life. I woke up and I finally un- I understood what the meaning of life is. I understood God's will for my life. I understood God's plan for my life. I understood God's purposes for my life. If you said, would you like to take back those seven years of crawling? No, 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 no. Take away my whatever. Take, but don't take that away from me. Because at the end of the day, it's who you are. It's not what you do. At the end of the day, it's who you are. To be loved by God. It's who I am. At the end of the day, that's what Nebuchadnezzar will be singing. It's who I am. You're a good, good. What 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 was he saying? You're a good father. Everything you do is right. You're a good, good father. It's who you are. It's who you are. It's who you are. And I'm loved by you. It's who I am. It's who I am. It's who I am. That's why I said the sermon started long before I got up here. Nebuchadnezzar would say, no, no, no. Don't take that away from me. Take away my arrogance. My arrogance has been taken away. I have been molded and conformed to be more like God. You cannot, please, you cannot take that away from me. Here, here's a test to see whether you and I are mature spiritually or not. Okay, here's a test. Last week, we said one of the tests was, can you say, but if not, but even if he does not, I have dreams And I want to fulfill those dreams. God, fulfill these dreams for me. But if not, God, I want I want this or I have these goals and I want this in business or I want this in my ministry and I want to be able to accomplish that. But if not. I want it all. I want these things, God, you know, my heart, I want them, I want them, I want them. But if not. Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, sweating blood. Father, if it be your will, take this cup from me. But not my will be done, but your will be done. So that's last week. We're talking about spiritual maturity. You want to know what spiritual maturity is in this context? Can you look back? Can I look back on the challenges, on the mistakes? on the lessons, on the failures of our lives and see God's hand guiding our steps, even through those things. Can we look back? Can you look at your life and look back at the mistakes and the failures and the lessons? And the, Can you look back and say to yourself, yes, I went through those things, yes, but I could see God's hand of guidance in my life during those times. I can see how that taught me lessons that nothing else could teach. And if you ask me the greatest times of my life, I'm going to tell you when it was this, when I went through that storm, not when I went through that peace time. Those are the greatest experiences of my life. Nebuchadnezzar does something that most people will never do, okay, in this culture or any other culture. Nebuchadnezzar not only experiences that humility, but he tells everyone else about it. 
He not only went through it, the experience, but he tells the world about his experiences. He owned his mistakes. He owned his failures and he shares them. He shares them, if you will, with others as a testimony to God's great power of transformation. I have been transformed. I once was lost, was ne- but now I'm found, was blind, but now I see. He tells people his testimony to God's greatness and transforming power in his life. That, my friends, is growth. That is humility. That is spiritual maturity. So we talked about how we went from bondage, right? We're in bondage and God's helping us break free from bondage in Egypt. And, and we're going to go on to the promised land and we're making it down the road. And, and, and let me share a couple of lessons that we have to on this road that we're on. Lessons that we can learn from this that we can apply to our own lives, that we can use in our own journey. Number one, you need to remember to give God the glory. You need to remember to give God the glory. God needs to be glorified. You know, could the challenges that we face be God's way of getting our attention? Think about that. Right now, what you're going through, could the challenge that you face be God's way of getting your attention? Helping you, helping me to refocus, changing our course. How much do you love your children and what would you do to help them change the course of their lives? And the answer of all parents that are good is I would do anything necessary to help change the course of my child's life if I think they're going to go down to a road of destruction. I'll do whatever it takes. Listen, C.S. Lewis wrote this and listen to these words, okay? Pain insists upon being attended to. God whispers, listen to this truth. God whispers to us in our pleasures, speaks in our consciences, but shouts in our pain. It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. Amen to that. Number two, we need to recognize our sin and repent. We don't like talk about that in church anymore, right? Everybody shouldn't. We need to talk about repentance and sin and all that kind of stuff. Let me tell you something. You want to grow spiritually? Uh, all yada, yada, yada with all the church growth, whatever. Use right the right words. I'm going to use the right words. You need to repent of your stinking sin. There's the right words. You want to grow spiritually? Repent of your sin. Do I want to grow spiritually? I need to repent of my sin. I can put it in more modern terms. It may sound a little sweeter as it goes down or maybe whatever. We need to repent. I need, Jeff Green needs to repent, recognize. I need to recognize. First, I need to recognize where I'm arrogant and where I'm boastful. And I need to repent of that sin. Daniel 4.27, listen to this, says this. Therefore, this is Daniel talking to Nebuchadnezzar before this all happened. Therefore, your majesty, be pleased to accept my advice. Renounce your sins by doing what is right and your wickedness by being kind to the oppressed. It may be that then your prosperity will continue. That's your prosperity. What did, what, did, what did God do to Nineveh? Nineveh repented. He didn't send calamity. And that's what Daniel is saying. It may be that your prosperity could continue if you do these things. If you repent, God will relent from sending calamity. Like Nineveh, he could have avoided the consequences. He could have avoided them. But in Nebuchadnezzar's case, he didn't avoid them. His sin led him to devastation and humiliation. 
But we can avoid those things. Number three, we need to learn our lessons. When you're taught a lesson, learn the lesson. Learn the lesson. Take it to heart. He was insane for, listen, he was insane for seven years, but he was transformed for the rest of his life. He was insane for seven years and transformed for the rest of his life. God will never discipline you or me one moment longer than is necessary to bring about the change he wants to see in our lives. But he will never stop one moment before he brings about the change, the transformation in our lives. He will never stop one moment before he brings about the plan, okay, and the purposes that he wants to accomplish in our lives. I want you to bow your heads with me as we close here. Bow your heads with me. See, here's the thing. Please listen to my words. God's goal is to bring us back into a right relationship with him. The only way for him to do that is to, we need to be humble, He can humble us or we can humble our own hearts. He loves us. Listen, he loves us. He loved Nebuchadnezzar. He loved Nineveh. He loves us and he wants the best for us. He disciplines us to protect us from the consequences, the hideous and horrible consequences of our sin. That's why he disciplines us, because he loves us. You're a parent. You discipline because you love We can take comfort in the knowledge that God may allow trials in our lives for a season, for a season. Though many of those trials are brought on by our own doing, his purpose is not to discourage us. His his purpose is not to beat us up, but to develop our character and lead us to our purpose, to his ultimate purpose for our lives. So I want you to think about this as we close. I want you to think about this. Answer these questions. Where do you need to humble yourself this morning? Where do you need to humble yourself this morning? Even if it's something, it doesn't have to be major, something minor. Where do you need to humble yourself in your attitude, the attitude of your heart this morning? In what areas of your life do you need to give God the glory? Maybe you've, you know, you haven't recognized it, but you've been saying, I, me, 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 it's all about me. Where do you need to give God the glory or give credit where credit's due and to the people around you at work, to the people around you in ministry, to the people around you in your home? Where do you need to give credit where credit's due? Where do you need to give God the glory for what's happening in your life? Are there some prideful sins from which you need to repent? So I'm gonna, I want to do something different this morning as we just keep our heads bowed in, in, in a, the attitude of humility. I want us to close. Jen's going to sing a song. I want you to listen to the words of the song that she wrote for this sermon. And if you can, if you can, I know some people can't do this. It has nothing to do with humility. It has to do with physical inability. So just sit where you are. But if you can, I want to close this service off by by worshiping God on our knees. I want to finish off our worship on our knees, humbly before God. So if you can get on your knees, even now, right now, get on your knees as we close out this service. Let's go before him on our knees. If you can't do it physically, it's okay. Just sit in the chair and bow your head before him and try to answer those questions. Where do you need to humble yourself this morning? In what areas of your life do you need to give God the glory? And are there prideful sins for which you need to repent? 
And as Jen sings a song, let's listen to the words. Let's go before our God in humility. Just God and Heavenly Father, we humbly bow before you. And we ask that you would help us, Lord, to overcome the sins that hinder us in our lives, that hold us back from becoming more like your Son, Jesus Christ. Give us the strength that we need, Lord, the spiritual maturity we need to become the men and women, the children that you've created us to be. We humble ourselves before you, God, and we give you our lives. We give you this day and we give you our lives. In Jesus' precious and holy name, amen. Have a great week.